Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. From Backpage, I'm Martin Gregg, and this is Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. This is my chat with Johnny Greekin, the chief sports writer for the Daily Mail in Scotland, about a piece he wrote for the sports section entitled No Sport, Try a Movie Instead. Johnny broke his choices into three categories, sports movies based on a true story, sports documentaries and thirdly, fictional tales of sporting glory. I asked him to pick just two out of each of these categories but you'll hear that I read out his full list at the start of each section. We start by talking about The Damned United and you'll hear me make reference to the Line of Duty actor Martin Comston and his views on football representation in film. This audio was actually taken from another podcast we produced called The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. I actually dug out the audio and I'll play it after the outro music so please stick around for that. Martin played John O'Hare in The Damned United and he's really interesting on how football is portrayed in film and also Michael Sheen's epic performance as Brian Clough. Finally I'll end with a plea. Can you please leave a review? I know every podcast says leave a review given that we all have a bit more time on our hands just now. If you could be bothered leaving us a rating, you don't even need to leave a review. Just leave us some stars wherever you listen to podcasts that would be a huge help and here's another suggestion do you know somebody who might like this podcast if so can you hit the share button and send them it and just say here's something you might like because we all have a lot of time to fill here thanks very much for listening hope you enjoy this podcast okay johnny so your first section is movies based on a true story and i'm going to give you the full list from the article so you've got chariots of fire invictus raging bull i tonya the fighter rush Cool Runnings and Rudy. Obviously, in a, in a bid not to <laughs> monopolise your entire working day, uh, I've asked you to choose a couple from each category. So, the two you've chosen for mo- movies based on a true story are um, The Damned United and Moneyball. And I think, if you don't mind, we'll start by talking about The Damned United, which was obviously a, a fantastic book and gives us a chance to talk about the genius that is Michael Sheen. It's funny, I was looking up his biog before we started, and you know, Michael Sheen had this incredible run of eight or nine years where he, you know, he portrayed, I think it was Tony Blair, David Fr- Frost and then obviously Clough in The Damned United. I mean, that bit of casting just really elevates this film, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it's just magnificent. Now, I will own up to this that one of the sub-editors in the office caught me on this one because I originally wrote that Martin Sheen is Brian Clough and that would have been a very different movie. But Michael Sheen is just magnificent as Clough and I remember speaking to Gordon Strachan about it after the movie had come out and he just said, he is Clough. He's Clough, it's as simple as that. And he'd spoken to lots of Leeds people who'd worked with him and close with him and lots of people in football who just just could not believe how good the portrayal was. I think he captured the cadence of his speech really well and, and just that force of personality and how it just ripped right through that dressing room in the space of, what was it, 44 days or something like that? It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I mean the scene in the dressing room where he tells them to chuck all their medals in the bin because they cheated. I, and we know these things actually happened and that's why I, one of the reasons why I love the movie. I mean, I gave it entertainment value 10 out of 10, accuracy 9 out of 10 because nobody's really disputed a lot of the stuff that was said there and a lot of the things that were done 
these things happened. And you can actually see the you can source out the TV showdown between Clough and Don Revy live, you know, live on a, a, an evening show, and it's absolutely magnificent. I mean, these two guys are just ripping into each other. You could not imagine it in the, the kind of stage-managed modern world of football. You couldn't imagine sort of... Uh, Mourinho and Klopp invited on the same programme and just tearing into each other. That's a fantastic scene in the film. It's amazing the way they just they're just sitting there, or, or Revy's just sitting there, kind of staring at the back wall and almost doesn't acknowledge Clough um, stroke Sheen when he when he comes on to camera. And I mean, it's not a abusive exchange of views, but it's it's extremely robust and, and it's it basically walks the line between <laughs> being able to broadcast it and, and not. I loved it. I loved it. But there's so many great scenes in it. Um, I mean the the early days and uh, there's just so much good quality in this and and like you point out it's based on a book and all the best of these are based on really good books that have got really you know detailed insight the source material is so important and I think this really dragged it out beautifully I mean it's it's hard to um dismiss the, the, the impact that the Damn United had when it first came out in book form um, I remember somebody recommending it to me and um, I think it was on a train journey somewhere, I can't remember where I was when I started reading it and I'd never read anything like that before just to take you into the head of a character, it was like, it was a kind of breathless read wasn't it from, from, from start to finish that book? Absolutely you felt like you were there um, and that is why I mean you, you start with good writing and, and the movie will follow from that and, and the movie stuck very very closely to it um, if, again there's so many of these I could have picked as a favourite you mentioned Invictus is just m- magical you know um, but but yeah for, for this reason only and also for the fact that it's probably the best movie about football now there haven't been many great ones no offence to a shot at glory or some terrible one with Pelly that I remember renting out of the blockbuster video in the 1980s and just stinking. There were some, some really bad football movies. Um, but this, you know, this is just as a great sports movie, just a great movie on its own. Yeah, I mean, I remember speaking to Martin Compson, the actor, a few years ago, and he was he, he played John O'Hare, I think, in the, in the Damned United. And he was talking a bit about the authenticity of the football scenes and how they try to, to get them right. Uh, obviously, Compson has a bit of football pedigree himself I think he was uh, he was on a, a, on a professional contract with Morton uh, before he, t- he turned to acting but what did you make of the football scenes? I thought they were excellent really good and they kept it again that's what, that's probably what has held back football movies in the past hasn't it it's really hard to recapture that you can do it with baseball because there's that batter versus pitcher you can play around with the cameras you can be a bit tricky you can do it with golf Nobody's following the flight of the ball. If a guy, if Kevin Costner's got a decent swing, then it's going to look to the to the naked eye. It's going to look the same as Sergio Garcia's swing. But football is really hard to do, and that 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 really helped. Um, the fact that it's a, such a human story as well, you're not paying that much attention to the football scenes, but they work. They're so they're so good that they don't get in the way of the story. Is what I'm trying to say. I thought it was well cast and, and brilliantly done. The only one I did object to, and I think we all probably object to, Stephen Graham is it? He's a brilliant, brilliant actor. My, one of my absolute favourites. But he's not Billy Brimler. <laughs> he's got one of the worst Scottish accents on screen. Uh, like Scotty out of Star Trek. And I, and I love him. I think he's absolutely brilliant in everything. And it just was like the one thing that, that, that maybe would have given it, instead of getting 11 out of 10, he gives me 10 out of 10. I'm looking at him going... No, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> Indeed. Well, listen, that's a damn United number two choice for movies based on a 
true story is Moneyball, um, which I was delighted to see in there. Um, I'd actually, at this point, I'd maybe recommend another podcast for our listeners, which is called The Rewatchables. Uh, it's presented by Bill Simmons, the, the famous American journalist. Uh, and basically, the the idea of it is they rewatch a movie and they talk about it. And I actually recently listened to an episode on Moneyball, and they were re- uh, they were making a case for how rewatchable a movie it is, uh, which I always think is a sign of a great movie if you can go back to it again and again and again and find new things. And that is, there's so many layers in the Moneyball film that you, you, can, you can't actually do that. Yeah, it, it comes on the TV and I have to watch it. It's, it's one of those, if you see it, you, you can I'm, I've got a few movies like Jaws is one, right? Not a sports movie, I know unless you count fishing, but uh, if, if a movie comes on the telly, you have to watch it and that is Moneyball. Now, I'm going to admit I'm a nerd. I am a complete and utter nerd and a geek. So, the whole book captured me right from the start. You know, is there some way that a nerd can be good at sport or have a, an, a a key part in a sporting organisation. I just love that. Um, <clears throat> and you say rewatchable. There's so much in it. Billy Bean does not look like Brad Pitt. We'll go with that right from the start, okay? But uh, him and the, who's the fat kid from Superbad? Yeah, Jonah Hill. They do excellent. They just make it entertaining. They kind of enliven it. I mean, Brad Pitt's a great actor and he's a great got that screen presence and everything. Uh, and it's just a, it's just a great story, isn't it? I mean, to take what everyone knew. I mean, didn't believe what everyone knew about baseball. We know this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that this is how you scout a baseball player. This is how you tell who's going to be able to play in the big leagues. And just to rip all that up, that's, I mean, that's just a great story. The one revelation for me, actually, watching that movie, I mean, obviously we know how versatile and talented an actor Brad Pitt is, but Jonah Hill to me, was was a revelation. I'd never seen him in a kind of serious acting role. Uh, and I thought he played... It was a wonderfully kind of understated performance, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He got into the kind of... Put it, actors talk about getting into the soul of a character. He clearly spent time with him or, or studied him. And by all accounts, that's who that guy is. You know, he's not funny and witty and the guy who's going to be the life and soul of the party... He is what he is, which is I'm dealing with the numbers. I mean, it's interesting, like, as you know, Johnny, we published that book, um, Astro Ball, um, which is... Yeah, I enjoyed that. enjoyed that a lot. If you like, it's a bit of a follow-up to Moneyball, where they, they try and build human judgment back into the kind of decision-making process. And, you know, I would strongly recommend if you've anyone who's read Moneyball that they go on and, and read Astro Ball. But actually, during the editorial process for Astro Ball, I actually went back and read Moneyball and... People just think of Moneyball as being the book about stats now, but to be honest, actually, it's a, it's about Billy Bean. It's like it's almost like a biography of Billy Bean, and and you're kind of brought back to that in the film because the, the you know the narrative driver for the whole thing is not the fact that necessarily they found this way to to change sports based on stats. It's this main character, a really really fascinating guy. Yeah, I'll just say one thing about Astro Ball. Great book. Nothing in it about sign stealing, which the Astros are now in trouble for. They didn't include that. Yes, that's the follow-up. Yeah, that will be. Uh, yeah, Billy Bean, that's what comes across in the movie and the book as well. He was the kid who was going to light up the big leagues. He was going to light up the show, the major leagues. Everyone looked at him. He could run, he could hit, he could do everything, and it didn't work out for him. And he that kind of that influenced his judgment. And I think it says in the book, everyone's influenced when they're scouting talent, everyone's influenced by their own experience. They're either drawn to players who can do the things they did very well, or they can do the things that they couldn't do. 
So you might find centre in football terms, you might find a, a centre half becomes a manager and he's fascinated by strikers or wingers, and those are the guys he wants to put in the team because they do the things that he could never do. And I think that that really came across well in the book and the movie about Moneyball, and and it's interesting because I think he had a chance to continue on at college. Is that the story, Billy Bean? Uh, and and he chose it. He chose to to take the you know they, they guaranteed he was going to be playing in the big leagues, and then he, he kicked around, didn't really make it. And I think it comes back to later in the in the, the movie when he says, you know, I made one decision based on money in my life. I'm not going to do another one. So, it, yeah, it's a, it's a real personal story. And the, the characters in it, I mean, Chris Pratt, before he was big superstar in Jurassic World and uh, the Avengers movies and Guardians of the Galaxy and everything, he plays this broken down catcher who, who can't catch anymore because he's, he's had injuries. He's, he's going to catch and they, they sign him and say, you're going to play first base. And he thinks, this is ridiculous. But this actually happened. This actually happened in real life. They went to a guy who was a catcher and said, no, you're going to come play first base for us. Retrain. Entirely different position. And, you know, there are just, just so many great stories like that. And also there's not one point where where one of the minor league coaches complains about the, the catcher you sent me has titties. <laughs> he says he's so, he's so fat, he's got titties. And he's like, I don't care, he gets on base. So there's there's all these brilliant little individual stories of kind of guys who need to resurrect their careers or guys who are not given a chance somewhere. Uh, oh God, we all love that, don't we, in sport? We all love somebody that gets plucked for the third division and ends up playing in the Champions League. So let's move swiftly onto your second category, which is sports documentaries. And, and I think you said in the piece that this was your toughest choice. The full list is Senna, Hoop Dreams, The Batter Bastards of Baseball, Take the Ball, Pass the Ball, and Glasgow 1967, The Lisbon Lions. But your first choice in the documentary category is When We Were Kings, which is an all-time classic, in, in my opinion. This is obviously the story of Ali V. Foreman fighting Zaire back in 74. And, and when I saw this choice, it reminded me of how much I enjoyed it the first time. And I, de- I decided I'm definitely going to go back and watch it over the next few weeks. But what actually, what sticks in my mind most about watching it the first time was the, the build-up. There's, there's so much on the build-up to the fight. Now, they, they do the fight justice but I just couldn't get out of my mind this the way that, that Ali sacks out Foreman in, in the lead up to the fight and it's almost this kind of mental war of attrition before it gets anywhere near the ring at times I actually felt really quite sorry for Foreman because he just could not handle this force of nature that was coming at him outside the ring never mind inside it's accepted even by his biggest fans that Ali could be cruel he could be very cruel uh, and very cutting and, and that was part of his makeup and he regretted it later the way he treated Joe Frazier uh, and said that the way he, he he kind of really poked and prodded at him and he, he came to regret that later in life what struck me about When We Were Kings is just how terrifying George Foreman was right now I grew up in Canada in the 70s early 80s watched a lot of boxing, grew up on boxing, caught the tail end of Ali's career, so kind of knew who, and everyone knew who he was. George Foreman, years later, was just this guy that sold grills. He seemed this cuddly, avuncular old geezer. So he kind of had this, uh, just fixed in my brain the wrong image. And then you see this and you go, oh, sweet, Jesus, he's going to kill Ali. Even though you know it's, you know he doesn't, you're like... Now I get, now I really truly get this. Why nobody gave him a chance. Why people were genuinely worried for Ali's health 
for the time he'd been in and out and out of the game and they were like this and this could be please Mohammed don't do this please don't do it you could get hurt and I get that that really comes across you say it's the build up <laughs> the build up goes on forever and you can imagine as uh, you know uh, it working in newspapers the idea of just staying there for two weeks or three weeks to build this fight up but the editors were fine because you know what you're going to get a copy every single day because Foreman's going to do something and then Ali's going to come about wrestled with an alligator and tussled with a whale uh, so it's it's just going to be great copy for three whole weeks the thing I remember about it as well was the kind of social and cultural backdrop and if I'm not mistaken there was actually like a music concert I think does James Brown play in, in the concert and stuff it's just like this epic moment in popular culture over and above a boxing match yeah well this this was an era when as we say when we were kings when boxing was kings as well wasn't it I, I mean you had Norman Mailer being sent to, to write pieces about the boxing it was huge and Okay, the, the president of Zaire genuinely brought this to Zaire thinking this would put his country on the map. You know, that that was what it could do for, for, for a whole country. I'm not saying it worked. How often have you heard of Zaire since then? And how many times have you been there? There was great scenes with the president as well, wasn't there? Some sort of dictator and they just rounded people up to get them off the streets. And there's such depth to this movie. It, it goes right into the... And that's what the best of these documentaries do. I, I love the fact that streaming services have made documentaries mainstream particularly sports documentaries and the best of them they 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 tell you about the world they don't just tell you about sport it's why the the glasgow 1967 the lisbon lions won that's social history when you're watching that you're not actually okay you know this you know the sporting story but it's hearing people's tales of what life was like then it's the same if you go to the other one i mentioned the battered bastards of baseball i mean kurt russell actually played minor league baseball in the 70s in america which was just a wild, wild time out in California. And it gives you this idea of what a wild era that was when, when random leagues could set up and, and challenge the established leagues or people could do things. And it, it kind of... I think that's the thing with When We Were Kings as well. It takes you to a, a totally different era. And you go, you know, this would not happen now. Again, like we were saying with the Clough review thing, this would not happen now. And this would not happen now. But we've seen what the boxing's become. We've seen how it is. You get... You get a, a Sky Sports special on the build-up that uh, runs for three weeks with behind the scenes, and that's all. That's all really, really good stuff. But it's not the same huge cultural thing. I'm at, I, I don't know if it even mentions what the the global viewing figures were for for that fight, but I mean, it's just, just ridiculous. It seemed to dominate the world as much as it was huge, huge for the world. You got to remember how huge it was for Ali as well. That cemented his legendary status there. To do what he did again as we, we go back to how terrifying George Foreman was and you watch the old George Foreman fights that have since and he was just destroying people. He was so terrible and he was he was mean. He wasn't just powerful, he was mean. He looked like he wanted to kill you in the ring. And and this what what Ali did just elevated him to obviously the greatest. I mean everyone agrees that he's the greatest. Uh, and I think this this was a huge part of his legend. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, your next choice in this category is a fascinating one for me. I, I had heard of it, but I've not seen it. It's called June 17, 1994. C- can you tell us a little bit about the premise of the documentary? Yeah, well, it's one of the great ESPN 30 for 30 series. I would recommend you watch all of them. They are Even if you don't understand the sport involved, um, just, just watch them. They are magnificent. But June 17, 1994 is the opening day of the World Cup in America. You remember Diana Ross's brilliant penalty. Uh, the opening ceremony. The NBA Finals, I think it's Game 5. Uh, Arnold Palmer is playing his final round at the US Open. And the New York Rangers are holding their Stanley Cup victory parade on Broadway. And then everything gets interrupted because a white Bronco starts getting pursued by police down the LA freeway. And it's the OJ Simpson chase. And this just rips everything apart. It's a tremendous documentary. First of all, for people on this side of the Atlantic who don't understand how beloved O.J. Simpson was. I mean, absolutely beloved. It wasn't just adored, like, but people genuinely loved him in America. He was so important to their sporting culture. And then all this happens. And it's... Oh, listen, I, I could talk all day about it. It's just brilliant. So much insight, so much behind-the-scenes stuff. They obviously have the tape of the, converse, the, the the conversation between OJ as he's driving or being driven and he's holding the gun to his head and they've got the police trying to talk him out of it. It's just wonderful. Stylistically, it seems quite interesting as well. I was reading in, in the notes to it that says um, it features no narration and also no interviews and consists simply of music set to clips from news sources during that day. So that, that's a really innovative approach. It's amazing. And I think they probably run with the idea that, that everyone knows the story of OJ Simpson. I think you, you wouldn't be watching a sports documentary, you wouldn't be watching any documentary unless you knew the story. I think it's so famous, and particularly when the, the, the documentary came out. It doesn't need the narration then. You know what's happening. And I loved the insider stuff that comes out of it. There's a, a back and forth between whoever the presenter is doing the Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Maybe Jim Nance or one of those guys. And he's talking back and forth to his producer on the microphone. And they just show this clip raw again. No, no commentary. And he's saying, yeah, but what do I do? No, when you come back to me, we've just interrupted to OJ holding a gun at his head, and you come back to me, I can't say, hey, everybody, welcome back to the basketball. How do I handle it? And they have this whole back-and-forth conversation, just stuff you don't think about at the time. Of course, how does he handle that? He's going to be the first face they see, or the first voice they hear when they cut back from the news, and they're going back to the table, and he, and he handles it beautifully, and he, he just he strikes the right tone, and it's like, that. that's that's really clever stuff into into how they, the, this because, you know, if, TV sport in America is huge and they had everything on at the same time and to be able to cope with this was 
just really interesting. Okay, moving on to your final category is fictional tales of sporting glory, and the full list includes Escape to Victory, Happy Gilmore, The Champ, A League of Their Own, Any Given Sunday, Snapshot, and Jerry Maguire. But first choice is Bill Durham, and you actually make a point in the article about how baseball is the kind of perfect sport for building movies around, which I thought was quite interesting. I mean, this is actually uh, this this movie was one in a series of Costner-led sports comedies movies wasn't it I think he did he did a few others but obviously this one is is the pick of the bunch for you yeah I mean let's just put the cards on the table it's got Susan Sarandon in it you've got me you've got me at Susan Sarandon um it's just it's it's very very funny uh, I mean Tim Robbins Kevin Costner are a very very funny pairing actually uh, as I say baseball is good for for films anyway because it you don't have to worry too much about the the action scenes you can you can set that up pretty straightforward with close cameras and everything but um, it also has this romance of the minor leagues um, there's a great documentary when Michael rode the bus which is about Michael Jordan's year in, in minor league baseball and this is this is, I mean, this is is very very deliberate with, with American sports if you're playing in the minor leagues you're riding the bus you're staying in crappy motels that's the way we treat you because it makes you hungry and then you, you move up and you move up and you go to the show and there's the great talk there's a great scene in this in this movie where where Costner talks to the guys about yeah I've been in the show and they go you're in the show man he's like yeah 12 games back in whatever year he says what's it like he says you know white balls for batting practice and he explains the, just the glamour of it all and they all look at him differently his great great character they, they invented the writers invented Crash Davis who was eventually ends up breaking the the record for minor league home runs and he really doesn't want it Celebrate because what what kind of a record is that? You know, it's like you'd rather you want to play in the major league. Why do you want the record for minor league home runs? Okay, your final choice in fictional tales of sporting glory is Rocky, which is a fantastic choice. I mean, I was actually looking at the the Rocky franchise, which now spans eight films, um, running from the original in nineteen seventy six through to the Creed films. I think there was one in twenty eighteen was the last one that came out. But you're going right back to the original here, and I thought it was really interesting that you mentioned the piece. And here's me sh- showing my my ignorance of movie history but I'd forgotten that it actually won the Oscar for Best Picture and it beats Taxi Driver and All the President's Men who most people would consider two of the greats all time I mean you're not talking about Titanic here or any of that or Driving Miss Daisy which are terrible movies who just happen to to, to win Best Picture listen it's become cliched and that's probably the success of the movie the whole sports movie thing based on Rocky you could you could follow it but, but I mean Stallone wrote it although some people say he borrowed some of the themes from somebody else. He was the star. Listen, we, we can all take the mickey out of Stallone's acting ability and he's been in some absolute stinkers over the years. But listen, he inhabited that character. He just was this, you totally believed. He was this, this I mean, a bum, as, as his trainer Mickey Burgess Meredith. By the way, Burgess Meredith, one of the great actors of all time, playing this fantastic trainer just as you would imagine every every boxing trainer should be but yeah he's this he's this bum but he gets his chance and well, listen who doesn't love that you know the, the chance of being plucked out 
from the, the humdrum, horrible life and giving you a chance to do something outstanding. It's worth saying about Stallone, actually. He popped up in a documentary I was watching recently, I Am Duran, about Roberto Duran, and he talks very, very knowledgeably about boxing. He is a serious, serious boxing fan. Uh, and I think that I think that passion does come through in the performance. Whatever you think about his, his acting abilities, he, he definitely means it in this film. He really goes for it. Yeah, I mean, nobody's pretending that the boxing scenes in Rocky are up there with Raging Bull, which is generally held as the best, you know, kind of uh, on-screen fictional portrayal of boxing. Some of it's slightly daft, and it got more daft as sequels came on. But yeah, he loved the sport. He he, he loves the sport. And that really... And that showed, I think, when he was when he was uh, doing the workout scenes in the, you know, in the, in the gym and stuff, you, you could see that he'd, he'd at least... He'd put his heart and soul into it. In trying to become a boxer for the screen. Finally, just before we end, Johnny, we should give a mention to Gregory's girl. Oh, without a doubt, I can't believe, I cannot believe I missed this out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna plead temporary insanity. I was in self-isolating. I was stuck in the study for literally a week when I wrote the piece. I can't believe I didn't put Gregory's girl in there. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm ashamed. I call myself a Scot. I mean. Bella, 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 exactly. So, listen. Also, I, I'll just point out that I was uh, growing, growing weary of company, being stuck in the study as well, and I was this close to putting Logan's Run in just to get Jenny Agatha in the paper, <laughs> just to get an excuse to look at pictures of Jenny Agatha. So, it could have been worse. And by the way, and I will point out: don't just watch any sports movie. There are some absolute stinkers. And I know you like your golf, and I love my golf, and there's some great golf movies. Never ever watch The Legend of Bagger Vance. Never. No matter if it's the only thing on your last person on earth and it's the only form of entertainment, go do something else instead. I think that's the two lessons from this podcast. Don't watch Bagger Vance, do watch Gregory's Girl. Without a doubt. Michael Sheen's a phenomenal actor, lovely guy. Michael can play a bit. It was nice to be in that because some of the footage as well, I remember watching them do the scene with uh, Colm Meaney and Michael Sheen, which was the, the interview between... Clough and Revy when after Clough had just been sacked the Yorkshire TV yeah he turned up and I remember thinking reading it going that's not believable Mm. and they right away went no this happened Mm. and they showed me so I'd encourage anybody to watch it and so Clough's just been sacked by Leeds United and he's been asked for an interview and he turns up to the the studio and Don Revy the former manager and his mortal enemy is there waiting on him and they have this bizarre interview together and again but Revy raises some good points why did Clough take that job? He, I mean, he labelled them dirty leads, mm-hmm. which they're still to this day. I hear people calling them, and um, he tore them apart. But it was, I think, because people have this thing about me, and uh, I, I actually just got offered a football film, which I turned down because I hate football films. I don't think they're done any well, and when it's something you're so passionate about, what Damn United did great about there is all the inner workings of the club, and it's a, a fantastic true story, and there's a lot of footage, and it's just clips of of the game you can't really catch a game in full flow I think unless no. it's playing and it's actually it's a again I won't name it but it's, they've got a bit of money behind it and my my mind were my agents and my managers send me and saying you'll love this and I've been no you, if this isn't done right and they called a striker a goal getter no thank you and from that moment I went no if you can't even I don't care who you are if you can't do your research enough even if you're not a kickball to know that it's, it's a striker then you're not going to connect with your core audience. And um, I love football films in terms of films that are around football, but to actually capture the game playing. There was another film, actually, 
which was a it was a fantastic true story about a lad in the Falcons who um uh, Boca Juniors signed, but it was all very political because they wanted to claim the boy for his own. And it was a great story, it was true, and then but the ending had the boy uh score one for against the Argentinians and then run and beat his own his own whole team and score score into his own goal. People, I remember to try to explain this to my American managers, I go, why this is can't be possible. And, you're, and and the only way I could explain it, it's like throwing a touchdown into your own end zone. It doesn't happen. This can't happen. So I think football is something very hard to capture on film. We asked a lot of the listeners um, to talk about this subject, to suggest football films that work. What were you all doing? Not one of you mentioned Gregory's Girl. (laughs) Possibly the greatest ever film, never mind football film. But we came to the conclusion that very often American sport can be captured on film and, and, and has been quite well yeah, but again, I think because it's, it's because football in full flow, it's I think it's very easy to see somebody who can't play football. Yeah, you know, whereas like American football was just in its own way, it has so many stoppages. So mm-hmm. to get in that huddle and yeah, kind of okay. stuff and see that throw. Okay. Um, but then I mean, there's great sport films. I mean, even like you can tell white man can't jump. Those two can play basketball. You can see that right from the off. So I think you'd need to have. In my way, the only in my mind, the only way you could you could capture a really good football film is to have employ actors who could really play and then just let them play and get what you got. At which point the actuaries are going to say, "But what if one of the stars yeah. turns an ankle? They're not going to allow that's, it to happen." That's, that's it true, happen. isn't it? Yeah, that, you've got to let it happen. I mean, I'm damned United. Fucking Stevie, well, we pal Stevie Green. Like a lot of people don't know him, sort of was Al Capone and. Uh, Boardwalk Empire, but Steve's a great friend of mine. He absolutely fucking scudded me on, on Damned United and one. Um, he was supposed to do it, but I, it was a great moment as well, actually, because Stevie was playing Billy Bremner. So we had a lot of local sort of younger lads in as sort of the extras yeah. and stuff. And we were we had a so we were playing training games. We were playing our positions to try and get in, and we're playing Derby versus Leeds. Uh, Stevie's running about the park, being a wee Scottish general, shouting abuse, and he's given this one this one kid abuse. Um, is Billy Bremner and the guy's dad ran on the pitch guy's <laughs> <laughs> like it's my fucking son leave him alone and we're all like whoa 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 he's Billy Bremner what are you doing we're uh, pretending uh, and then I remember the dad going off I saw you're a good actor and Stevie going I've got a fucking few awards as well <laughs> Sheen captured that mm. role like not many people yeah. can do if you're playing somebody real he went and I think he did the same in Frost yeah it's funny he did Frost Nixon and he, he played Tony Blair. Mm. And Michael's one of these incredible actors where he's played three different historical characters there. Mm. And somehow, by the end of it, he looks like every one of them. Mm. And he doesn't, but physically, just because he, he kind of morphs into them, but there's a, there's a massive difference in acting between doing an impersonation and acting, because mm. that's for people like Rory Bremner and stuff to do. It's not mm. impersonation. You, know, you have to bring the character to life w- within their mannerisms and stuff. And I think Michael's the best in the business at it. Been lucky a couple of times with some of the big bigger actors I've worked with, and I worked with Michael when I was quite young. There's a couple of scenes where he's in in the dressing room giving us all this big team talk and rallying the troops. Now, obviously, it's that looks like maybe a minute, two minutes on film, but that's like two days film because it's on Michael from multiple angles, and then you've got to film around him, the rest of the team. And I remember the the ads and the directors and stuff saying, "Michael, save your voice," because he's in every scene of the film, like. Let somebody read in for uh, okay. for you. Michael going, no. If the boys are reacting to me, they'll react to me. And when you're with a young actor seeing that coming through, that, that sort of sets a standard for you. <laughs>